0: They were embodying a brand of manhood that looks like Jesus. Welcome to the Eden Podcast, where we true the verse of Genesis 3.16, and we discover that God didn't curse Eve or Adam or limit woman in any way. When you have a battle to deal with, you know, you're not stopping to figure out it is okay for me to do. You know, you're going to do what you can, and that's what we're all called to.
1: I appreciate your study as well on Tamar. You break the rules mm-hmm. on Tamar, Love so we're going to have links to these these books. But I'd like to dive into your uh, Maelstrom book. What what's going on in there, and what's your message for us?
0: Well, I ran into these men because I was researching biblical narratives about women. And there were men in their stories that weren't following the the party line in terms of what manhood requires. And they get mocked. They get mocked. Uh Barak gets mocked because he wouldn't go to battle if Deborah wouldn't hold his hand. You know, that's kind of how they look at it. Instead, you know, he's facing a David and Goliath battle And he wants to know if God is in it, because he's not going to lead the men he leads into a bloodbath. And they're completely overpowered with what he's facing. And, you know, the point God makes is if I want to defeat Sisera, I can do it with a woman who has no military training at all. And the most amazing moment in that story is when Barrett runs chasing Sisera and he comes to her tent and he goes inside and he sees (laughs) what she's done, you know, and it's sort of like, no wonder he's singing praises to God and thanking him for Deborah and jail, you know, for it's. Oh, you know, but we go to these narratives and we have to, we have to um, implement our policy of men and women in our interpretations. And the Bible just blows it to bits. And um, the Judah Tamar story is, is it's my favorite. I really love Boaz, but Judah mm, is such a, He's a monster (laughs) Mm -hmm. and God is in pursuit of him. And, um, the turnaround in his story ought to make everyone weep when they read it. And, um, you know, it's, you need to get that book. But anyway, I ran across these men as I was researching women. So it's, I was researching, um, Tamar, I was researching um, Ruth and Mary of Nazareth and the men in their stories weren't following the recipe for what a man is supposed to be and do and they were they were embodying a brand of manhood that looks like Jesus Mm -hmm. And I was working on, I wanted to tell their stories. I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't have an agenda when I started, it, but my husband started looking at what, I mean, he always re, is my first editor and he said, you're talking about patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am. <laughs> I mean, I didn't mean to do that. But I was very, you know, the introduction in that book, I was very concerned about what is happening in the Middle East. And it was ISIS at the time. And what I was learning about them from secular experts was that these young men from America and Europe are um, going to ISIS. And the reason they're going over and over, they found this to be true, is that they're looking for meaning, a sense of meaning, purpose, and belonging. Mm. And I said, where are we in this conversation? Why aren't they coming to us? Why don't we offer all of those things to them? You know, so that's sort of, and my husband was the one who said, you're talking about patriarchy. And what i What I say in that book is that patriarchy is not the Bible's message. Mm -hmm. It's the backdrop to the Bible's message. And we need to understand the patriarchal world better than we do. Mm -hmm. If we're going to understand what the Bible's telling us, and if we're going to get the radical revolutionary nature of the gospel then we have to we have to know what's going on in terms of patriarch the patriarchal world. So
1: well, give us and an example so- of give us an example of one of these refocused pictures that you that we we should learn from your from your book.
0: Well go to the book of Ruth. You yeah. know, when Naomi loses her husband and her two sons and she's postmenopausal. You know, we just kind of kick her to the curb and, you know, we want to hear this story of Ruth. But what you have is a woman who is out Jobing Job Hmm. because she's a woman's purpose. And you, you see the angst in all these barrenness stories is that a woman's purpose is to produce sons for her husband. And so when she can't do that, I and mean, her life's work is destroyed when her husband and her sons die, and the Book of Genesis itself is, um, you know, the the linchpin of patriarchy is primogeniture, which is the rights of the firstborn son. And God doesn't play by patriarchy's rules in the Book of Genesis. Is It could be titled Warring Brothers, and what they're mm-hmm. warring over is patriarchy. It's primogeniture, mm-hmm. because God chooses Abel and not Cain, the, the firstborn, and Cain kills his brother. and Esau wants to kill his brother and and, and it's all about firstborn rights the firstborn son gets a double inheritance and it really comes out in the Judah story because Judah has three sons and that means he'll divide his inheritance four ways the firstborn gets half and the second and third each get a quarter. So when the firstborn son dies, son number two now will get two thirds instead of a fourth. And the, and the third, the youngest son will get a third. Okay. Cause the father divides it now in, into three parts. So he gets two thirds instead of a fourth and he's being asked to replace his older brother not going to do it you know <laughs> you know he talked to his accountant and his accountant said you know this is a good, good way to lose everything so you know everything and then the the 12 sons of of Jacob when he wants to give everything to number 2 number not number 2 no <laughs> number 11 number 11 it was an outrage. And they wanted to kill Joseph. And um and I think Judah thought he was next in line because his three older brothers had all disgraced their you know, their father, shamed their father. But anyway, Judah turns into a monster. <laughs> and and yet through through Tamar, God reels him in. It's just I I think if you don't weep when Judas speaks to Joseph and doesn't know it's Joseph, you know, mm-hmm. something's wrong with you. <laughs> it's just, it's so powerful. So what I'm learning from patriarchy is that we have to understand how the patriarchal culture works if we hope to understand biblical narratives. Patriarchy mm-hmm. is the backdrop to the bible's message and it unleashes a the radical revolutionary nature of the gospel so we need to read half the sky and we need to find out about malala and you know she can't go to school in her country and they want to kill her and why it's okay for women being killed in different countries or that you know Why they're, you know, not even second-class citizens. It's all related to patriarchy. And we want a kinder, gentler patriarchy in the church. And Jesus doesn't want any of it. And Mm -hmm. Jesus doesn't doesn't follow those rules. He talks to women in public. He includes them as his disciples. They learned from him. You know, he encounters women in a public space and has a conversation, a deep theological conversation with them, you know, and the one who stands with him in the battle that he was facing was a woman, Mary of Bethany, who sat at his feet and listened to him, who struggled when her brother died and Jesus didn't come in time to save him. And learn to trust him at a deeper level, no matter what he said or did, trusting him was the safest way to go. And so she anoints him for his burial. And he said, she has done a beautiful thing to me.
1: There are so many there are so many misinterpretations we have throughout scripture when when Joy came, she would study and research on her PhD and I got to be her first reader. And she'd say, Hey, look what I found. And I would listen to that. And I said, this this is amazing. Um, I had a different doctoral dissertation topic I was going to work on. And when we got to Africa, we had thieves break in and stole all my notes. And for about a year I thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. And finally some wise friends said, why don't, isn't there anything else that you've studied at this level? And I said, yeah, I've looked at the new Testament passages You'd be interested in this, Joy's doctoral dissertation is called A a Rhetorical Analysis of Genesis 2 to 3. So she looks at the rhetorical pattern, the literary patterns of Genesis 2 and 3. And so what I ended up doing was looking at the, the literary patterns of Ephesians 5 and 6 and 1 Timothy 2 and 3, seeing that Paul actually took the pattern from Genesis 2 and 3 and built out Ephesians 5 and 6 using the same pattern and First yeah. Timothy 2 and 3, using the same pattern. And when you look at those patterns, it opens up. It's it just amazing what, what we begin to see. Oh, there's so much more we need to talk to you about uh, and your whole collection, library of books that you've written, and uh, we don't have time. So we're going to put the links in the show notes down below and encourage people to learn so much more about Carolyn, Custis, James, and we appreciate you being with us on the Eden Podcast today.
0: Thank you so much. True 316 Foundation is the home of the Eden Podcast. Join us for $3.16 a month or more. Let's true the verses on the key passages on women and men. Go to true316.com slash partner.